church. If you want to be somebody who prays or you want to have something prayed for, email my wife, Terry, at ccont.org. It's in the bulletin. This week, there wasn't a whole lot. We only have four. Now, maybe because in case you did seriously send something in and it didn't make the prayer chain, my wife left me. So I'm kind of on my own. She ran off to be with my mother. I told her, no, you run off to go with your mother, but her mother lives in Oklahoma. But no, my mother had hip replacement surgery, and so she's been spending a few days with her. She finally got out of rehab, which never sounds good that your mom just got out of rehab. But um, she did, and uh, she's at home now, and so Terry's kind of getting her acclimated and, and whatnot. And mostly I say that because nobody ever cares about me. It's always, where's Terry? Where's Terry? And so now you know where Terry is. But anyway, we got four prayer requests tonight. First was from Darlene Amador. She asked to pray for a friend's baby whose name is Robert. He isn't eating. He's been on a feeding tube. Finally, he's been able to take a couple of teaspoons of formula, but we need to continue to pray for him. Deborah Granado asked for prayer. Uh, she said she just took a call at work from a lady who mentioned having a hard time keeping track of bills and such. She said her grandson had died at one year old, and also, she got hurt at work. Her 28th wedding anniversary is coming up, and she asked for a prayer for herself, her family. Her name is Judith Rigsby. Terry Barrett asked for a prayer for her mother as she had triple bypass surgery. Um, I saw some pictures. Her mother's eating and seems to have come through it fairly well. Uh, Joanne Kilsmeyer has asked for a prayer for her father, Alan. He's been pretty sick. I believe it's bronchitis. Alan is... I think he might even be in his 90s now, and uh, he's been he's had quite a few issues, and so she asked for prayer for this, and that it's it's pretty serious whenever he gets sick. Um, that's it. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just thank you that you've given us this privilege that prayer is, and Lord, we just exercise it tonight, just lifting up these prayer requests, Father, one last time, and I pray for Darlene's friend's baby, Robert, Lord, and I just pray that your healing hands would be upon him, that you would be gracious to this family, Lord, as they are not believers. I pray, Father, that they would see your hand, and Father, through this precious life, I pray, Father, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are. And so, Lord, along that end, we pray that you would bring believers into their lives and just do a work in this family. I pray for Darlene and, <clears throat> and her witness that you would fill her with your spirit and give her the words to speak. And then, Lord, I lift up Deborah Granado and her heart of compassion for this lady that called and all the things that are going on in this lady's life. And I don't know where she is at with you, Judith, but I do pray for her and just pray, Father, that, Lord, as your word tells us, that you work in the hearts and souls of men and women, that, Lord, you would do that great work in the heart of this lady. I pray for you to be her provision, and I pray, Father, that you would be her salvation as well. And then, Lord, I lift up Terry as she's ministering to her mother, Terry Barrett, as she's listening to her, uh, ministering to her mother who had triple bypass surgery, and just pray, Father, that the surgery would be that which restores this woman back to full health. And I pray for Terry's ministry to her mother, Lord, that you would enable her, and again, Father, that you would give her words to speak of comfort as well. And then, Lord, we lift up our brother Alan to you, just such a blessing, and Father, I do pray for his health, and he's dealt with just so much in the last few years, and just pray that you would strengthen him through the power of your might. I pray for Paul and Joanne, who have both Joanne's mother and father, and then Paul's father living, or a mother living with them, and just pray, Lord, as they're ministering to them, as they're helping them with their physical issues, that you would bless them and keep them. 
Lord, I pray for any prayer requests that may have gotten overlooked just with my wife ministering to my mom and all. And we just lift those up to you as well, Father. You know very well what they are. And you know, Lord, the things that are going on in the lives of your people. And so once again, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity of prayer. Pray, Father, that we would be of the mindset that this is true ministry, being able to represent our brothers and sisters before your holy throne. Father, may we never grow weary of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers, chapter 6, we'll be starting at verse 1. Keeping in mind, Israel is preparing on their wander or their walk through the wilderness. Now, on their walk through the wilderness, if there was a desire for a deeper walk with the Lord, if you wanted to get closer to the Lord, if you wanted to have a higher awareness of God in your life, God provided for that. What we're going to be looking at is this Nazarite vow. And so for the person that just was not content of marching along with the multitude, God gave them this gift. This is something that a person, not even having to be a Levite, could participate in that would separate him from the crowd. This is regardless of gender, age, or tribe. Now, previous in chapter 5, last week, we saw regulations that kept sanctity in the camp and what to do and what not to do if you wanted God to dwell with you. Because again, what are they doing? They're marching through the wilderness. They're headed towards the promised land. And as they're going out, we've got, well, over 2 million men. And so there's quite a few people, including women and children and all. And God has desired to be their God. And God has placed their, his blessing upon them through his presence. And God has said that as I have taken you out of Egypt, I'm going to dwell amongst you. But there's some necessities to be realized if God is to dwell amongst them. And so he gave them the law. He gave them commandments. And when there was the breaking of the commandment, we saw in Leviticus, there was the sacrifice that would appease the anger of God. And so here in Numbers, God is just reminding them of a few things, pointing out a few other things that, again, I dwell in the midst of your camp. And if you want me to dwell amongst you, you must be a holy people. We saw this camp. This camp is a direct reflection of our lives, of our families, maybe our occupations, or fill in the blank, anything that you have influence over, that you would influence for godliness. Because as we go through this walk, as we go through this life, we want God to dwell amongst us. Now, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Upon salvation, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And there's just no doubt about it. The Bible's very clear about that. But again, I want a life that is going to reflect somebody whose life has been altered by the Lord. Somebody who is living a life of obedience. Somebody who is being blessed by God as God determines what a blessing is and that in my walk, others may see my walk, and others may come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that was the desire of God with Israel, that they would be, as, even as they wandered through the wilderness, that they would be a light to the Gentiles. Problem is, they pulled within themselves, and then we know they didn't even recognize Messiah when he came. And so I must consider the sphere of influences that I have in my life, in my children's lives, in my spouse's life, grandchildren at the church, again, everywhere and anywhere that I'm able to influence people before the Lord, I must keep a clean camp or live a holy life, a life separated to God. So, 
entering into chapter 6, well, it's all about being proactive in our walk with God. Being proactive is to push forward in holiness. Paul said it reached forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things that are behind. Because we all got a lot of baggage. We got a lot of baggage. And if you sit there and you dwell, you know, spiritual manner, if you dwell upon the things of the past, it'll drag you down. It'll hold you back. It'll keep you from everything that the Lord has. We've all made mistakes. We've all flat out sinned. But what does Paul say? Again, think of what Paul did. Paul used to kill Christians because they were believers. He used to persecute the church. But he says, the one thing that I do. You could ask him, Paul, what, you know, in your Christian life, what's the one thing? What's the one thing? Because usually the one thing is kind of the main thing for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's putting aside the past, forgetting those things which are behind and pushing forward. We have to be a people who are pushing forward. Because people who are not pushing forward, it's been my experience, and the scriptures pointed out as well, they're moving backwards. Because you've got people that you would look at and say, well, that person's backslidden. But then you've got somebody who's just kind of staying stagnant. To stay stagnant is to be backsliding as well. Because God accepts, expects us to push forward in our Christian lives. Again, that's why he said, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Hell's protective measure will not prevail against a church that is pushing forward. And so what are we experiencing today in everything that we see in our society? We see a stagnant church for the most part. We've got to be a church that pushes forward. The person that does the administrative work for us, she gives me a list every Thursday, and it's the highlights of the things that are happening and the things that are coming up. And it just kind of gives me a pretty good idea of where we're at and what we're doing. Now, I don't want to become the church at Ephesus that left its first love, but I do want to be a church that is involved. And again, you need to keep us in prayer. We're having an outreach. It's called Easter Sunday. Usually our church doubles. We have, yes, we have two services that day, and usually the sanctuary is full. We've got to push forward in preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. Today I just mailed the application in. We're going to be doing a float in the City of Ontario parade once more. And we've got door-to-door ministry that goes out. We've got street witnessing that goes out. We've got to be people who are pushing forward. And that's not to even mention the individual stories that I hear. I was at work. I was at school. I was in the neighborhood. Continue to push forward, being proactive in our Christian life. And that's higher calling in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to be looking at in the majority of our study here tonight is this Nazarite vow. A couple of things. First, the Nazarite vow, or that's what it's called, is a Nazarite vow and not a vow of a Nazarite. There's no such thing as a Nazarite. Nazarite means separated. There's no correlation between Nazarite and Nazarene. Jesus was a Nazarene because he came from Nazareth. Nazarite is simply to be set apart. Now, I think I've probably called it the vow of the Nazarite as well. That's improper. It's a Nazarite vow. Second, some biblical notables when it comes to the vow were Samson. Samson had taken the vow of a, uh, the vow of Nazarite. I'm going to say the vow of a Nazarite again. The, the Nazarite vow. Samuel apparently did. It's believed that John the Baptist did and even possibly the Apostle Paul. So, getting to the vow itself, 
first thing we see, it's dedication described, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from the seed to its skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy, then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother, his sister, when they die because his separation to God is on his head or it's his responsibility. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Note the description of the dedication. This vow is presented as an offering. This is an offering. This is of something that has been impressed upon my heart and I want to give to the Lord. You know, when you kind of want to do something special for maybe a wife or a husband or a child or whatever, just impressed upon your heart. Well, based upon what God has done. Now, keep in mind, the Israelites, they've experienced so much. They were in Egyptian bondage. Read the first chapter of the book of Exodus. They were in a place that they could do absolutely nothing for themselves. And then God miraculously reached his hand in, and it's as if he pulled them out. At this point, he has provided for them in the wilderness. He spread the Red Sea. They understood that God was with them and God was going for them. And this is not payback by any stretch of the imagination, but this is just based upon, Lord, what you have done for me. Father, I want to offer you this humble gift. An offering, this offering would be a sacrificial giving of God, giving to God of a person's self. A New Testament parallel, well, there is no Nazarite vow in the New Testament that we are to be engulfed in or participate in, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God is merciful, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We saw all the dead sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. Anybody can present themselves as a dead sacrifice. How about a living sacrifice? Dedicating this life to God. To present your body's living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then Paul goes on to say, it's the least you can do. And the idea is, based upon what God has done, presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is the least you can do. And the only way that I can do that today, I've got to do inventory. I've got to do inventory. What have I allowed in my house? I mean, seriously, really, looking at the Bible and all that the Bible says about holiness and separation from the world and the flesh and all of these things, what have I allowed in my house? What have I allowed in my life or maybe in my children's lives or whatever it might be? What are some of the things that maybe I participate in that, well, I wouldn't feel so comfortable in if somebody from church saw me doing these things or whatever it might be? Because there's always two people that know the things that I'm involved in and that's me and and that's the Lord. 
And so this is a desire to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, again, we, as I said in my prayer, we only are able to approach God based upon his grace. Not your righteousness or your works, which you have done, but according to the grace of God. And it's all based upon the sacrifice that we'll be celebrating a week from this weekend, the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so this is a free will offering not based upon me and what I'm going to do, but based upon what God has done in your life and continues to do in your life. Now, I'll remind you once more, very important to remember when making a vow or an offering to God. A vow is to be made of your free will. This is not something that is commanded to do. This is not something that God is telling them that they have to do. No one can force you to make a vow, and God does not require you to make one. And so again, we may make vows to God. Lord, I'm just making a vow this year to get more into your word. Lord, I know I've been sloughing off, and I know what I've said in the past, but Lord, I'm going to spend more devotional time in your word. Lord, I'm going to pray with my spouse this year. I'm going to make that vow before you. Lord, I'm going to increase my giving at church, my intending attendance with the gathering together of the brethren, or, you know, again, whatever it might be that we come before the Lord and we know God's laid these things upon our heart. There's not necessarily a direct command, but because of what God's done, I want to give this to God as a free will offering. Well, there is one issue in that, although this is a free will offering and it's not something that God has commanded you to do, once you make your vow before the Lord, it becomes obligatory. See, God is faithful to his word and he expects us to be faithful to our word. And so that kind of changes the whole thing because how many times have I promised God I'm going to read his word more? How many times have I promised God that I'm going to pray more, attend church more, and I kind of started out for maybe a week or two, but then I kind of just slipped back to the old person. I've got to understand, now God's not going to lock me out of heaven or send me to hell or anything because of these things, but I want to be well-pleasing to God. I want to be somebody that God is going to bless, that God walks by their side, and there's a knowledge of God by my side as I'm walking through this life. Matter of fact, the preacher said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, he says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, better to not vow than to vow and not pay. And so those things that I'll just kind of haphazardly shout out to God or in the midst of a prayer or whatever, I've got to consider these things because God takes them serious. Now again, God says, I will honor my word even above my name. So he's telling us the degree of importance that he places upon his word. We've been made in the image of God. And so God places importance upon our words as well. Matter of fact, God uses his word through your word to alter the lives of people for, you know, as, we're, as we're witnessing to others. And so I see the power that exists in words and the the. The basis of that power is God. And so the words that I speak before him, I've got to consider these things. I've got to consider and think them through, pray about them before I just blare them out. So included in this vow, there were three main responsibilities that we just read, all geared for a proper witness to those around the person making the vow. Now before I get into that, remember back in Jesus' day, he was given certain warnings concerning the Pharisees. 
Pharisees? Well, next week we're having our week of prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to make a vow to me. As we're going through that week of prayer and fasting, now that week of prayer and fasting, you can look in the the flyer that's in the bulletin and it spells it out on the back of it and all. But we're going to meet here every night. We're going to meet here every night and we'll have just, you know, kind of worship and we'll just kind of gather together for prayer and, and, and whatnot. But the thing that the Pharisees weren't doing is they wanted people to know that they were mourning, that they were suffering. They wanted to be known for their fasting and their praying. Matter of fact, even to such a degree that they weren't taking a shower. Please take a shower. I do these things, and I do them to the, not for the Lord, I do them to the Lord. And, and it's not about anybody else. It's all about, again, my relationship with God and me wanting my relationship to be all that it can be. And as I desire that to happen, also to have others be drawn closer to the Lord because of my relationship with God. And again, if I'm the one who is drawing the attention because I'm the spiritual one, because I'm suffering for the Lord, you know, if I try to make myself self-righteous in any way, then I'm taking the glory from God. And so that's the idea behind these responsibilities that you would not take any of the glory for God. Because again, it's an easy thing to do. Because, you know, there's some people here that they could, you know, bow the Nazarene, they can grow their, their hair out or whatever. If I go, now, when it says hair, I just kind of take it to mean singular. And so if I grow my hair out, that one hair that I got left up on the top there, um, I could so easily start drawing attention to myself. And so God's wanting to keep this in proper perspective. And so the first thing that he sees is what we saw in verses 3 and 4, a person making the Nazarite vow should, would, has to abstain from alcohol. Why does he need to abstain from alcohol? For clarity of mind. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with something again is to be under its influence. If you are filled with the Spirit, you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with anger, then you're under the influence of anger. And if you're filled with alcohol, well, some of us have been there, either that or we've had relations of people who've been filled with alcohol and filled with alcohol fairly consistently, and it's just not a good thing. And so if you're wanting to honor God through this vow that you made, one of the requirements is that you would not drink any form of alcohol. What kind of example is someone under the influence? Well, in Proverbs chapter 23, we saw it a few months ago as we were going through Proverbs 23. It won't be on the board. Verse 31, it says, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. And your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I did not feel it. And when I, uh, and when I awake, that I may seek another drink. So speaking of you know, laying on a bed and the room spinning around, it's speaking of having a hangover and, and all of these things, and then when you're drunk, not having control of your senses and all, what kind of witness is that? And again, it's something that very early in my Christian life. Now, there's not going to be anybody in hell because they drink alcohol, but there's a lot of people that act like it because they drink alcohol. 
Um, the Lord just told me very early in my Christian life that I was to not drink alcohol. Um, is it a sin? It'd be a sin for me. And that was just as a Christian, but how much more so as a pastor? And as I've said in the past, you know, what happens if you have an emergency? You know, somebody gets sick, has to go to the hospital. You call Pastor Mike, and Pastor Mike just pounded a few brewskis, and you need Pastor Mike to come pray for you. And Pastor Mike's not in shape to go to go do much of anything. And, and, and so now there's, there's not the work of ministry that's happening. I'm, and then you say, you know, the guy, I need the guy, and he's drunk. And, and what does that do? That, that's a bad witness for the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord with all of your mind. And I can't see how I could possibly love the Lord with all of my mind if my mind was altered by any outside influence. Our minds are to be stayed upon him. The second responsibility of making a Nazarite vow was the growing of their hair we saw in verse 5. Now, what is it that really stands out when you meet somebody, either for the first time or really you meet somebody for the first time in that particular day, maybe somebody that you see every day? Well, I think the two things that really stand out is how they're dressed in their hair. I mean, what their hair is like, you know, if they have messy hair. And I know you're thinking that I'm not going to joke about my hair anymore. This is all on you right now. I mean, especially a woman. I mean, their hair, the Bible tells us, is a crown of glory. And so you see a woman, and my, I remember my daughter getting ready for school, and my wife telling her, you're not going to school looking like that. you got blender head. And blender head was when her hair was just flying all over the place. And, you know, you look on somebody, and, and you know, there's an impression in that. And so, really, the idea is there's an impression, you know, that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm devoting to God. I, I'm giving to God right now. Now, there comes a great responsibility with that. Because again, you can use that, and you can draw attention to yourself. And God's watching, not watching for the purpose of judgment, but nonetheless, I'm there before the Lord. I'm transparent before the Lord. And, and as I have this outward expression of what I'm doing, I've got to walk properly before the Lord, not drawing attention or glory to myself, but giving glory to God. And so you see, well, there's Mike, and Mike's made a vow of a Nazarene because his hair is down to the middle of his back. And so... There's an opportunity there to go the wrong way or the right way. There's the opportunity to take the glory, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the godly guy. Or there's the opportunity to give glory to God and point other people to the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, you shall love the Lord with all of your soul. Your soul would be your personality, the outward expression of the inner person. Well, this is to be an outward expression to hair, the outward expression of an inner dedication to God for separation from that which is worldly and that which is of the flesh. The third responsibility of one taking a vow was to keep themselves from the dead, verses 6 and 7. Now, the only way that death exists is because of sin. If there was no sin, then there would be no death. And the separation must involve the termination of all forms of sin. And that's the picture here. Now, you can look upon this and say, well, you know what, if there's a dead body, and we've seen this in Leviticus and whatnot, and, you know, you touch a dead body, and there's bacteria, and there's all of this stuff, and, you know, some of the foods that God can, like, pork, you know, because worms and all that other stuff, it's for their health. Well, all that, there's an element of truth to that, but there's the spiritual aspect that is the priority. And, again, the idea is that you are to keep completely separated the Nazarite vow, separation, keep separated from sin or any kind of influence of sin. As God is life, his witness should be associated with life 
and should not be associated with death. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, to have a heart to walk strongly and straightly with the Lord. And so the Nazarite vow, it separates to God. Sin, sin separates from God. If you're going to be separated to God, you've got to avoid sin. You've got to avoid that which is contrary to God. Now, verse 8 just kind of gives us a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a picture that this vow was to be temporary. It was to be for a period of time. Verse 8, all the days of his separation shall be holy to the Lord. Doesn't mean that you go back to sinning, but the idea here is after the vow is over, after you have fulfilled the vow, and actually even part of the ceremony of fulfillment is that you do cut your hair, you could go back, and back in that society they would drink wine, they could drink wine again, eat grapes, eat raisins, so on and so forth. Secondly, from the dedication described, verses 9 through 12, the dedication dishonored. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing, on the seventh day he shall shave it. So you're sitting at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. You made a, a vow, a Nazarite vow, and you've grown your hair long, and you're there, and then the person next to you got bored to death, and he dies, because of Pastor Mike. He dies, and he falls over on you. You've just touched a dead body. And now you've got to wait seven days, from what we've seen in these first couple of verses, and you've got to shave your head. And basically, you're going to have to start all over again. It says, Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves, which will be sacrifices, two young pigeons, to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. So not only, see, there's the sin offering and the trespass offering. Remember the sin offering? Sin offering is when you sin against God. Trespass offering is when you sin against a brother or a sister. Look at the first four commandments, sin offering. The last six commandments would be the trespass or what was a trespass offering is necessary for violation of them. As a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now, when it comes to personal holiness and the things we do and the vows we make, remember what the Lord said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, in that society, the scribes and Pharisees, they were looked at as spiritual perfection. And Jesus is saying, not those guys fall short. And so in your vow, you've got to be, well, you've got to be perfect. Because you can argue here that, well, what's been described here is not the fault of the person who's made the vow. And how could it even be called sin? I mean, this dead person fell upon him. He didn't really make the effort to touch him and well, how did he know he was going to die? Well, get sin is missing the mark. And, and, and so if you're going to make a vow before God, it's got to be in perfection. And this person, again, maybe no fault of his own, but has missed the mark. God demands perfection, and one mistake causes perfection to perish. But the sacrifice, the sacrifice is important. Because the sacrifice shows us that God is our God of new beginnings when perfection fails. Because all have sinned 
and falling short of the glory of God. See, now in my vow to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, I got grace in that. I got grace. Not grace for jumping into sin, but grace when I stumble and grace when I fall. It's never about perfection because I know, God knows, and you probably all know that I'll never, every moment of my life, be able to present my body truly as that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. But that's okay because we all understand where we're coming from. And really what it does is even my imperfections point to the glory of God and Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so God's saying, you know what, that happens, the the vow's over because it's got to be perfection and you just weren't able to achieve it but he also gives the sacrifice. And it speaks of the grace of God once more. Again, Exodus, we got all of the law. and goes through in the detail and how you're to conduct your personal life and society and all of that stuff. But then there's Leviticus. Keep it in mind. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Leviticus is about a time frame of about a month. And really, again, it's God's grace showing them that when they stumble and they fall, there's a sacrifice for sin. It's going to involve the death of something, but it's a sacrifice of sin that we know points to the death upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is gracious, God is merciful. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, I think speaks very clearly to this. It says, Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now again, in the original language, that says, If you start over with me, I'll start over with you. And we have that promise as well today, that no matter what's going on in my Christian life, I know that I can come to that point of repentance. I can come to that point of repentance and I can make the determination, God, I want to come back. And again, not based upon your terms, but based upon his terms with a contrite heart. I want to come back. And Lord, your word tells me that if I start over with you, then you're willing to start over with me. His mercies are renewed every single day. And so that being the case, never am I locked out, never am I on the outside. I forget about the past, and I need to push on. Now, example, best example of dedication dishonored. Turn your Bibles to the book of Judges. Judges, one of those guys in the list that I read took the vow of a a Nazarite vow, even from birth, and we can see some of the violations of it in his life. Samson, man dedicated to God. Look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 to start off. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, the daughter of the Philistine. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Pleases me well. Now, the word temna, that means instead. And Samson went down there to instead. This would be the place you are instead of where God wants you to be. God does not want a Jew to be amongst the enemy. Matter of fact, they were supposed to kill these people off. And he definitely does not want him marrying one of them. This is four miles into enemy territory in a place where you will find a daughter of the Philistines if you look. Well, you don't even have to look very hard. Samson's parents seem to be very godly people, but when it comes to the things that Samson wants, 
they compromise. Again, verse 3, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman amongst the daughters of your brethren, among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. You want to compromise your children's relationship with the Lord? Cater to the things that please them well. Cater to the things that please them well, and they will head down the road to hell. As we give in to these things, well, that's not how God deals with me. God doesn't compromise with me. And you know what? That's set me on a good path. And so if I'm more concerned with the things that please them well, then I'm not really concerned about their spiritual well-being. Samson, a man dedicated to God, he now dishonors God. Now keep it in mind, it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. And this man who has made a Nazarite vow is, well, he's about to compromise with the Lord as well. Now, if Samson had called, I'm sorry, if God had called out Samson in the cool of the day and asked Samson, where are you? Samson would come to some realizations here. It it says in verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is just simply God using even his disobedience. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of, of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, he returned to get her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Samson, where are you? Samson, where are you? Now, if Samson stops, he would realize where he is. He's surrounded by sin. Where's Samson at? He's in a vineyard. A Nazarite, a person who's taken the vow, of a, uh, the Nazarite vow, is not to be in a vineyard. He's surrounded by sin. This was forbidden of him. And he would also come to the realization he's got his hand stuck in the carcass of a lion. He's not supposed to be touching a dead body. And then later on, he's even going to play games with the hair portion of it, you know, with Delilah. And so he's a man who is very quick to compromise. If you look over at Judges chapter 15, verse 14, it says, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, and he's kind of boasting here, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone, the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi. Now, think of that jawbone. Do you think that jawbone was still attached to a live donkey? That'd be pretty hard to use as a weapon. Once again, he's touching a dead body. Well, Pastor Mike, he had the Philistines and all that. Well, we can make every excuse in the world. He wasn't supposed to be touching anything dead. Once again, this man compromised and he dishonored the Lord through his actions. You know the rest of the story. He ended up with his hair cut, eyes put out, and enslaved by sin. But if you read to the end of the Samson story, you know that it ended well. Yeah, I know he died, but 
at least he ended up giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. See, because God says, even to the person making the vow, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. And God used him in a mighty way. Go ahead and turn back to Numbers if you turned over there with us. The dedication described, the dedication dishonored, and the dedication done. Verses 13 through 21. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in the first year without blemish, and a sin offering, uh, one ram without blemish as a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offering. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering after the Nazarite may drink wine. After the Nazarite may drink wine. So... The vows are never made for salvation. The vows are made because of salvation. I cannot make God love me any more because of a vow, but I do seek to be blessed by him. I want to honor my Lord. And again, this vow of the Nazarite was to honor the Lord in a life. And this living this holy, sacrificial life is to live a life that honors God, that God may bless us. And it's seen for a period of time, verses 22 through 27, we're just kind of stuck in there, but it just simply makes all the sense in the world. Because I want God to dwell with me. I want God's blessing upon me. Now, if you ever get an opportunity to share on what a blessing is, if you want to know more about what a blessing is, if you want to know the background of a blessing, there's two good places to look. First one is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then the second place would be right here in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Some observations concerning God's blessing upon us. First, we have in verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The blessing is to be personal. You are to experience personal blessings from God. God thinks about you, God knows you by name, and God desires to bless you. And again, these are according to God's terms. And then the biblical pattern is, as one person is blessed of God, then so many other people are blessed by God. Our blessing God is speaking well of the Lord. God blessing us is God doing well for us. 
Now in Luke, we got a little bit of a picture on this. In Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53, and he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he, while Jesus blessed them, that he parted from them and carried, <clears throat> and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great glory, and they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Jesus doing well for the disciples, and then the disciples in turn speaking well of Jesus and all that Jesus has done. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. For somebody to shine their face upon you is to give their full attention to that person. The opposite would be a curse in them turning away from you. What if God, whose face shines upon Israel out in that wilderness, should turn his face from them? Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Countenance, his presence. May God go with you wherever you go. The result of this blessing is what mankind, apart from God, so spends all of his time seeking after, peace. One last thing as we close, and this will kind of tie it together with Ephesians. We don't have enough time to really go over to Ephesians. But if you'll notice, verses 24 and through 26, the Lord, when it says Lord, it's the Tetragrammatron Yahweh, the God who is, the Lord bless you. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Speaks of the threeness of God. Once again, we see in uh, very important spiritual points, we always got the totality of God in that mix. The totality of who God is. So think of it, the totality of who God is is directed to bless his people who are well-pleasing before God. As we looked at the spiritual blessings, there were seven spiritual blessings in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We saw a group of blessings that were from the Father. We saw a group of blessings that were from the Son. And we saw a group of blessings that were from the Holy Spirit. And it's exactly what we see here. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. It just speaks of the Father. It speaks of Yahweh, the one who has led them in the wilderness. John 10, 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then secondly, verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Well, how has the face of God shone upon man? And how has the grace of God been revealed to man? Through the Son. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. And then lastly, verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How is the countenance or the presence of God upon us? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word that directs us, Lord, to such richness. And we see, Lord, there were those in that wilderness who desired to be well-pleasing before their God. And Father, you gave them this avenue, and Lord, as they took it, they were blessed. And Father, we want to be blessed in our Christian life. doesn't mean that we're going to have riches or health or anything like that. Just to be well-pleasing in your sight is blessing enough. And so Father, may we truly be a people who present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, that we would not be conformed to the world, but transformed. And so Father, as we seek to do that, I just pray, Father, the totality of you, who you are,
that, Lord, you would simply bless us, that you would keep us, watch over us, and continue to move us forward in your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?